Good morning, lads and lasses, and welcome back to the Soccer Talk Lads podcast. It was bound to happen sometime as St. Louis City SC has suffered their first defeat at the hands of Minnesota United FC. It's disgruntling, it's disgraceful, it's downright disdainful, but we'll cover it all ahead. Then we'll look ahead to the matchup with the Seattle Sounders. Will the bloodbath continue, or will St. Louis City find a way to claw back against one of the best teams in the league? We'll discuss all that and a lot more ahead. And it's a lot to cover, so let's kick off. Cut it. So. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Soccer Talk Lab. It is uh, the Wednesday of Holy Week, which doesn't get a special name. We got Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, but Wednesday is just left out. In the this is the day for me in school where you're like looking ahead. You're like, okay, we got half day tomorrow. We're off on Friday. This mm-hmm. day just drags on as a That's as like. Right guy who went to a bunch of catholic schools i was gonna say this is a very catholic <laughs> discussion we're having right now but i agree i mean that's true it's hard to deny um yeah so uh it's the middle of the week we had a uh game on saturday a, a disappointing game uh I, also we had the the both nights of wrestlemania on saturday and sunday mm, so just a busy long weekend, weekend yeah. crazy weekend <laughs> um the uh today i can't even speak today my brain is on my brain's pride um <laughs> the game the the home game against minnesota how do i speak justin uh was our first defeat as a franchise falling you to know, minnesota one to Steven, nothing. we're just all frazzled honestly it's That's like right you lose one game and it all falls apart it's all over well, <laughs> those out there that think that's gonna happen the uh st louis city fc lost one to nothing to minnesota after outshooting them 16 to nothing or 16 to 10, not outshooting them 16 to nothing. That would be impossible. It felt uh, like it. it. Three did to feel one like shots it. on target, having 55% of the possession, uh, better pass accuracy. You know, all of the, um, all of the quick rundown stats look better for St. Louis city SC. So Justin explain how this fell apart for St. Louis and how badly outplayed we were and what our concerns should be going forward. Yeah, I mean, Stephen, it's kind of like what we talked about last week. Right? It's like they're going to sit back. They're going to let us try to have the ball and cut at, come at them. And then you watch it actually transpire. And it's just incredibly frustrating. And this team looked like in the second half, they were getting and like towards the end of the first half, too. They were getting more and more frustrated. And I think that played right into Minnesota's like, game plan, really. And if you look at we had all those shots and all those possessions in the first half and we only generated 0.31 expected goals to Minnesota's 0.28. And like then in the second half, we just kind of, I don't know if played into it is necessarily how we should say it, but I think from an execution standpoint, they were not like as on top of their game in places that they should have been. I think a lot of that, it comes down to just Minnesota's game plan and taking them out of their like favorable positions really. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it, uh, I think it was just a, 
situation where our game plan didn't quite measure up as well as it had in other games. And that's fine. You know, it's going to happen. This was bound to happen. I was hoping we'd push through this and lose to Seattle. If it would have been, to Seattle, it would have felt much better losing on the road to Seattle than at home right. Minnesota. <laughs> but Minnesota appears to be a good team. Look, they've got 13 points. You know, they're, they're doing quite well for themselves as well. So, um, you know, I know there's some people spiraling out there who, <laughs> you know think that this is proof that maybe we were overinflated maybe we we're playing a bunch of mm. bad teams in the first five games and and uh there's half truths you know, there yeah there's half truths but here's the thing <laughs> if you can consistently curb stomp bad teams you're a playoff team so like right. i don't yeah. know what <laughs> i did anyone think we were supporter shield contenders before for real like maybe a few people but like i think we've shown that we're probably a team that can at least comfortably finish fifth sixth seventh somewhere in there you know yeah my more than enough my outlook on this team points were just banked already you know yeah my outlook on this team has not changed i look at it as coming into this minnesota and st louis were the 28th and 29th ranked possession teams so like you come into that game knowing that st louis operates best when the other team can have the ball in their own half of the field and try to build out of the back and they can pressure those center backs. And that's just not how Minnesota plays. So it was always going to be like a formational mismatch in a style play mismatch. So now it just makes that second return match, like so fun to think about of how Bradley Carnell is going to make adjustments and change. Yeah. Yeah. So what adjustments do you think he would make in that scenario? Um, yeah, like I think dive deep into your Joe Lowry bag of tricks and break down the strategy for us. Yeah. I, I love okay. Happily, happily. I did write about it a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear about it. Tell us more. where did, first of all, where did you write about it? Oh, in area sports. So area sports network, of course, is where I, I cover the day-to-day minutiae. Um, and then we talked to Bradley Carnell after the match and that's where I think I get a lot of my, like, kind of understanding of what they're trying to do, but Carnell was talking about how the intensity dipped. And I think you see that when, like, especially in the second half, they were able to get the ball and have a lot more time on the ball than I think they wanted them to have. Mm-hmm. And so here's like the full quote of, you said the subs that you saw, we wanted to reboot the system with what we were seeing in the second half because our intensity just wasn't where we wanted them to be. So like it just, I think you just have those games and Roman Berkey kind of talked about this after the game too. Just like, it just felt like even, and Roman Berkey said even he himself felt like the intensity just wasn't there. So I think it was just one of those games where like it's a long season. You just weren't up to that level that you should have been. Um, Let's said after the game, you were taking penalties, you're talking penalties and maybe penalties on time. And we can talk about this a little bit, Stephen, of the kind of make or break moments in this game. But mm-hmm. so those are tough calls that neither go your way and I don't think you have to focus too much on that when there were many moments that you let them get into the game and put you in situations that you shouldn't have been in in the first place so that kind of just speaks to you like they let Minnesota like you know run their game plan and dictate the run of play and which forced St. Louis to hold on to the ball and kind of be a little bit slower in their build-up slower in their attack than I think the coaches wanted to see yeah, so let's talk about that critical moment then in the 70th minute, 70, let me get the official, 78th minute, excuse me, um, the penalty awarded to Minnesota taken and struck mm. home 
by Luisa Amaria, um, obviously was the deciding goal. What did you think about the penalty call? Um, and what did you think about the penalty calls that didn't happen? Yeah, I think, like, I think that I call this a penalty. Like, the margins are def definitely thin, but uh, Heber comes through after Nelson already shields Emery off the ball. And, like, if it ends there, it's a clean tackle, but he comes through him and catches him with his back foot, like, behind the play at that point. So, mm. like, in the box, that's always going to get called for a pen. So I don't feel hard done by that. I feel a little bit hard done by the Klaus call on the other side of the field, but... Like, I think when you're talking at that point, it's like you're relying on referees that don't necessarily call the same thing every week to mm -hmm. be consistent. And I don't know, like, I'm not upset with that penalty and I'm not upset by the penalty not being given to Klaus, but just like yeah. such fine margins to decide a game like this. I think it's a situation, I think Bradley Carnell said it really well, where it's like you need to be in a situation where that doesn't decide the game hmm. i mean there are times there are times where you played a really fantastic game and a call is just wrong i mean there are yeah. fewer of these times with var but there have been times where a call is just wrong or or you feel really unjustly done by a call and it really determines the game but this is not a game where we were dominant and deserved to win or at least played very competitively and deserved a nil-nil draw yeah. or or something and, and you're relying on us, the you know? officiating to bail you out as opposed yeah. to like yeah right. and you don't want to be relying on these officials to right. bail you out <laughs> everybody wants to complain about the referees and you want to be the team that doesn't have to even if the referees are a problem yeah. you want to be a team that doesn't have to complain about it and so i'm encouraged to see that they have taken that approach and aren't aren't you know com complaining about the yeah, and they did have, like, if they wanted to call out the officiating, they could, because uh, Jared Shroud had a yellow card that was rescinded after the uh, game yesterday and given a yellow card to one of the Minnesota players for embellishment. So it's not like there wasn't cause for them to be upset about poor officiating. But, yeah, it's, I guess, refreshing to see, like, the leadership group, too, because Tim Parker, Berkey, uh, Leuven all talked, like, not using it as an excuse. Um, and I think that's from your leadership group. That's what you want to see of like, not of they're clearly upset and like a little bit frustrated, but they were you know, very much wanting to move on and not dwell on the refereeing and things. Yeah. That's good to see. Um, do you think there was anything obvious that this team could have done, you know, maybe changes in the formation or changes in the lineup that could have countered the um, could have, how do I want to say this? Could have turned the tide of the game earlier than it did. Do you think there were any moments that stick out to you other than the penalty calls where you thought, oh, maybe a bad call was made here. Maybe something wasn't done soon enough. Like or it did. I don't know. Like, I think it just, like, it's hard to really put your finger on it. Like we said, the margins are close. So like it changes a lot if their intensity is where it needs to be. And I don't know if that's necessarily something that you can fix with a formational change versus like just going into the game slightly different but i did mm -hmm. like so towards the end of the game blom came in to play kind of at the base of the midfield they moved ludvin up higher into the field so they made more of a midfield diamond versus the four two three one that they had um kind of into the game and i think that seem to have worked a little bit better especially when Aziel Jackson comes on and like he's a player that takes on guys a little bit more than like outside of Ludwin that we have so mm -hmm. like I think that change if done earlier is a little more effective 
but like I, I'm not convinced that that necessarily would have been the way to go. But I, I liked seeing those like slight tweaks. Um, it was a fascinating game if you watched. They're like Carnell and Heath were, I don't know, there are wrinkles in both formations that were constantly changing that I enjoyed watching. Yeah, I thought it was a fun game. I mean, it's um, characteristically not uh, not um, dynamic Minnesota action. I would say they're <laughs> they're not not celebrated for their exciting, high paced, high intensity football. Um, but you know, they won the game. So what yeah. are you going to say? How are you going to complain? And I really don't think I personally don't think that this is a situation worth panicking over. I mean. I think there's a good chance we're going to go get stomped in Seattle as well. Um, yeah, that's where but, I'm like, these are the hardest three games that we'll have all season, like in terms yeah. of the stretch, like Minnesota, Seattle, Cincinnati, where like they could lose all three games and you're like, well, that's not really unexpected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, let's talk a little bit about Seattle and what you expect there and what you think might be coming down the pike because that uh, is going to be rough, I yeah. would say. Yeah, Seattle are a bit of a buzzsaw. Um, and they're not like, they're not infallible. Like the Galaxy are able to kind of take it to them at times last week. And uh, there's a period where, and Greg Vanny had a great uh, post game where he was trying to demonstrate what knew who was doing with his arms about a no call handball that he felt should have been called. If you haven't watched him pantomime, uh, what is a handball, <laughs> what isn't yet, you definitely should go out your way and find that. But uh, so that's a big argument that Galaxy were able to kind of get into that game. But Seattle, like Jordan Morris has four goals in his past two games, and, or five goals in his past two games, four goals against Kansas City a couple weeks ago. And he's just a guy that is just like at the top of his game right now. And he's speedy against our back line that sometimes has some speed issues, although Tim Parker was running as fast as I've ever seen him run uh, this past week. So hopefully he's recovered from that. <laughs> Steven, do you know how Tim Parker runs? I, I just want to ask you before we move on. Is there anything odd in his run that you've noticed? I have not noticed it, but I would believe that there is. I would say that uh, I would never slander Tim Parker under any okay. circumstances. All right, so. I'm not going to go into no, it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You have no, to now. When he the when peak. he gets going, he like bobs his head back and forth, and it's very Does fun really? to watch. Yeah, when he's I'm like... I'm going to have to keep him in mind. Now you're never going to not notice it, but if That's you ever right. watch him try to pick up steam, it's pretty good. It's like, um, right. you know, it's well, like a train when, getting going. When gingers try to do things <laughs> that are athletic, there's always going to be some strange happenings, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. so... You got to do something to, to counteract the ginger. Much respect to the ginger community listening to this podcast. You're not welcome here. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I, I am. I do have ginger blood in me, so we got to be careful wow, with that, I guess. Okay. But, All right. Yeah. Wow. So you're a half blood. Good to know. <laughs> um, no, everyone's welcome on the on this, on this Soccer Talk Wise podcast, of course. Especially except, gingers. Except for Cincinnati fans. Exactly. Um, <laughs> what... Uh, what what else do you want to talk about about St. Louis City SC and look yeah. at you? So getting back to the the Sounders, since I got us way off track, um, there is a period, like a space within their formation that is susceptible. So if you watch the game against the Galaxy, if you watch their game against Cincinnati, a lot of those chances come from the space, like in the middle of the field, in front of the center backs, and like behind their defensive mid. So they usually play with a 4-2-3-1, just like I'm sure you used to if you watch City games. But it's a little bit different in that they're a little bit slower in how they build up and you know they're not as high of a pressing team, but they're 
very dynamic. They're very strong in possession. They got players all over the field, but they have been vulnerable in that area. And St. Louis is actually very good in, in that area. And especially at those kind of like medium length balls and those diagonal balls getting into the box. So I think there are chances against Seattle and especially they've had some issues playing out the back too, that St. Louis can take advantage of as we've seen uh, outside of the Minnesota game. So, so what I'm hearing is you're guaranteeing a victory in Seattle. Stone cold lock. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. This is good. This is very I'm exciting. Totally not no- nervous. Totally think they're going to win. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the game. I think it'll be fun to watch a game of, of my team playing Seattle in the legendary Seattle atmosphere. Never going mm. to do that. Watch some other games. Always fun to watch Seattle Sounders games. It's also nice that they got that portland game out of the way because like in portland it seemed like especially ludwin wasn't used to playing on turf yet so now they've got that experience mm-hmm. out of the way yeah and i think speaking to the broader um broader topic of, of just where we're at you know if you look at this stretch if you if you assume a loss against seattle which i'm not saying we should but just like just for the sake of argument even if you assume a loss against cincinnati i think if you go back to the start of the season and offer anyone five three and oh after eight games you're going to take that so yeah. um a cool little uh, nugget i picked up so lutes talk love a good nugget so yeah lose fan shield uh, man of the people talked to the media after the game, which is just great that he just like wants to put himself in front of people like, all the time. Uh, uh-huh. He said that they look at the season in six game increments, which I thought was interesting. So like it makes it a little bit more manageable if you look at this in like a six game increment. So, okay, we're starting our second, like our second block, let's say, and let me pull up the schedule here real quick. But if you say those first two games are tough, you know, you're, at Seattle, Cincinnati at home, but then you have Colorado, Portland, who we have beat already um, at home. That Dallas game will be tough, but then you have Chicago, which should be a very much winnable game. So, like after this little run, then it becomes like much more manageable again. If you look at it at like a six-game block, six-game increment, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that. Of course, that's a great way to explain away losing six games, but that's also, you know. yeah. I uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't just invent that on the day. Luz is like, um, he strikes me as like, what would happen if if a Carney took over a yeah, soccer team? Like, kinda. I love him. I love him, and I love our team, and I love the energy. But he's just got just a wild vibe about it. You yeah know, if like, it's like oh uh, did we lose our six game well it doesn't matter we think about the se- season in six game increments you know yeah, it's like you don't trust anything a wrestler says that's it right has that same exactly. vibe yeah exactly <laughs> um all right so that is st louis city this uh, we didn't mention this at the pot top probably going to be a shorter podcast it's less fun to talk for a while when the team loses you yeah know, you so. know ian's off in japan hunting down the one piece so he's not here to get oh, yeah. if i, I for- see you there i forgot to i forgot <laughs> to even mention that that bum isn't here mm. um but yeah so what else is going on in the world of soccer liverpool and chelsea played a truly miserable game of soccer <laughs> yesterday that we don't need to talk about beyond that uh-huh. at all um, Justin, why don't you talk to me a little bit before we move internationally about, uh, Lionel Messi and the prospects of him coming to, uh, MLS. A yeah, lot of people so... are talking about this and many of them aren't happy. And that's interesting to me. So why don't you talk about it a bit? Yeah. So 
to get into kind of where Messi stands at this point before we get into some of the rumors, uh, it seems like it's down to three clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, into Miami, Al Hilal in Saudi Arabia, that's reportedly offered him like a $400 million per year contract. Who knows if that is true or not? But uh, And Barcelona, who somehow have money, I guess. I don't know how that works because I could see him going back to Barcelona because obviously there's a lot of history there and Barcelona love him. But they had to unregister Gavi because of financial fair play. And I don't know how they're in so much financial fair play dirt right now that they can't register new players. And then you're going to somehow offer Lionel Messi a contract that gets him to stay in Europe. I don't know how that works. But anyway, those are kind of the three teams rumored to be of interest to Lionel Messi. Inter-Miami reporters are saying that it's done. Uh, European reporters are saying that he's going to Halal. Some are saying that he's going to Barcelona. So no one really knows. But then the rumor was that MLS owners would be okay paying some of Lionel Messi's salary, which I think is a complete rumor because the article that it originated from was basically implying that MLS owners would want to make roster guideline moves so they'd be willing to like give a fourth DP slot to teams or you know some sort of creative roster accounting um, and not necessarily that they would take on salary. I think it was someone not understanding how MLS salary structure works that was reporting that. But mm-hmm. anyway, so then there is some hubbub around, you know, do you want your team paying Lionel Messi's salary? That's kind of where uh, we're at. I would say yes. I, <laughs> I guess this is maybe this is maybe where I'm not a serious enough soccer fan or something. Unserious, unserious podcast. But like <laughs> Lionel Messi is Lionel Messi. I don't mm-hmm. know if people are familiar with this guy. He's pretty friggin' good at soccer and he's a huge global superstar. And we're a league that is still growing and still maturing and still trying to make a reputation for itself. And yes, we can point to all the retirement league jokes and all that stuff. But if paying Lionel Messi for a couple of years helps us just have a much bigger scale league in several years from now, I think it's worth, I mean, can anyone, anyone argue that the David Beckham no. decision wasn't, I would also was. push back on this idea that like MLS owners can't afford his salary. Like uh-huh. who's the owner of inter Miami. It's um, uh, yeah. Jose Moss is like a billionaire. So you're telling me that uh-huh. like Jose Moss can't afford Lionel Messi's salary. Like they're going to offer him like club equity, large salary. Like the question is, does he want to come to MLS? That's what I see as the like hindering factor. Like Lionel mm-hmm. Messi for all the retirement league jokes, like Lionel Messi may be old, but he's still him and Angel De Maria basically won Argentina's World Cup for them. So like he is still a world-class player the best mm-hmm. player of all time still at a high level like well, controversy folks but <laughs> not really yeah <laughs> i think it's funny so the rumors of him falling out with psg are over sporting differences and i just like uh-huh. the idea of him leaving psg to go to like the saudi arabian league over sporting yeah. differences it's very funny yeah <laughs> and the thing is like i think if it's the saudi league versus the versus mls i think he'd probably prefer mls but it's 
you know, I mean, that's just yeah. me guesstimating. I don't know. There's a lot of money in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I also have never been offered a $400 million that's right. contract. So. But, um, <laughs> but it's just, as far as whether it's worth it, I mean, I just think it's hard to argue that it's not worth it, hmm. you know? I think for Messi, about yeah, my pitch for Messi would be if you go to Miami, you're in a very vibrant Latino, especially being Messi community and like that's going to help his brand out so much. I mean, the guy already vacations in Miami, so why not go there to play soccer? Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, anything else, MOS? No, no. Um, I still believe that St. Louis City is the best team in the world, so I'm glad that we can talk about that. I I agree. We're the best <laughs> on earth. Um, any any other international or soccer or football football? football news steven uh, why are you stalling why why are you stalling this conversation i'm, I'm not <laughs> what what conversation do you want to have i want to talk about uh chelsea and liverpool yesterday they played we don't to need a, to talk about that game it was terrible a nil nil draw one where liverpool had 0.35 expected goals to chelsea's uh 2.17 a game so bad steven that they hired frank lampard today to coach chelsea again <laughs> pretty <laughs> friggin depressing if you ask me <laughs> i had a bad saturday all my teams i got into bed with lost i had a team obviously we got obviously liverpool got murked mm. by uh manchester city and um I, then i i jumped into bed with my friend uh the dortmund fan my friend slash boss from germany so i Steven, got as a, a longtime dortmund supporter i cannot, I, bought, I don't know why you would do that to yourself <laughs> i love i actually like dortmund already but i bought a hat so now i'm official and then they got murked as well yeah um, absolutely shambolic first goal by the way just ridiculous terrible goalkeeping hilarious. what you have to know about dortmund is that they've never seen a title chase that they couldn't screw away in some way that's right it <laughs> seems to be the case and then uh of course city on uh saturday night so and then of course cody Rhodes on sunday night mm, too, just too soon just too a soon. shambolic decision but, if you yeah ask that's me. right exactly <laughs> well gotta love the word shambolic but um the the game yesterday i mean what do you what do you want to say about it it sucked these teams both suck right now they're terrible Jurgen Klopp is basically openly saying like my job should be in question i like how He's Jürgen made a Klopp couple of comments this. like the only reason I'm not fired is because of what we've done in the past. This is terrible, you know. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up with you because he's in his like no fucks era. Yeah. I feel like, uh, and like every everyone's asking him about other things that are happening in the Premier League, and he's giving like candid answers. So I feel uh -huh. like it's very much like acknowledging that we're not in the honestly yeah the title race anymore. <laughs> I mean, Jurgen Klopp, I uh, on top of being one of the best managers, probably the best manager in the world, at least at his peak, uh, is also just a very genuine and honest and interesting person mm. and and funny, like genuinely funny. Um, so it's always, you know, I always enjoy hearing him wax on about pretty much anything. Um, but he yeah, I mean, it's it's clear that Liverpool just don't have the horses right now, more than anything. They couldn't send, on top of everything else, they were hoping they'd get uh, Luis Diaz back for the game this weekend. They didn't. He's, he still needs more time. Uh, they were hoping Virgil van Dijk, well, I mean, of course they were hoping, but he missed on illness. So, like, on top of whatever else, they missed several key players on, in addition to the players they were already missing. Um, their midfield is honestly embarrassing for a team that thought that they were a top 
board yeah, club yeah. this year. Like it's, I don't, I don't, I love Jordan Henderson. I love James Milner. That's not even, he's not even really part of the equation, but like Fabinho has fallen off entirely. Alcantara can't do, Tiago can't do much with the players that there are. Um, we had the the kid whose name is escaping me. He looked really good, Basetic, for a while. And then, of course, he went down for the season with injuries. So I think it's just a matter of Finway needs to spend hundreds of millions of dollars this summer on a midfield or needs to adjust to Liverpool not being a top for hundreds of millions of dollars on a Jude Bellingham, perhaps. Well, perhaps, <laughs> but uh, but here's the thing: Jude Bellingham alone isn't enough. Like they they have to get multiple midfielders, and that's what really scares me. Even if they think, even if they know that they can win the Jude Bellingham race, they still have to spend more money on other pieces. Do and you think that if they spend like 150 million on Jude Bellingham, do you like how confident are you that they would also go somewhere else? I. I mean, they obviously really, really want Jude Bellingham. <laughs> there's no way, there's no way that they can spend on par with City or 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 um, Real Madrid or, or anyone mm. of the other top clubs, Newcastle for that matter, to get him. So it really relies on Jude just saying, I want to go to Anfield. Now there's a pretty good chance that he's going to do that. So mm. I'm not that worried about that, but like if they get him, I on the one hand you can say we spent 150 million on Jude Bellingham how can we afford anyone else but I almost don't understand how you could justify not spending 30 million on somebody else if you You have to make up 30 points on the table this offseason right right yeah and and I think if they're if they've got a healthy attack and you know that they've got a healthy front three for the full season. Darwin has looked better and better. I think if he's, you know, settled and good from the start of the season, you've got Gakpo and Diaz and Salah, obviously your defense is a little questionable at this point, but um, you know, I think it's worth considering moving Trent to midfield and, and looking at other options at right back. But then again, if you have a better midfield and he's not as exposed. Maybe he doesn't look as bad at right back. So that's mm. a different question entirely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, it's as simple as they got to spend money. And I don't have a, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them because as much as the oil tycoons and everything makes this a lot harder, they have just badly mismanaged talent over the past i mean everyone hmm. who's left liverpool has left for free every like every single yeah, person not getting got, a fee for sadio mane is outrageous insane. to me that was insane. <laughs> but like bobby firmino is gonna leave for free hmm. navi Keita, who never worked not for one second there was never i i like him I don't hold anything against him, but from the very start of his Liverpool tenure, from the very moment he signed on, it was like, oh, don't know about this one. And it never got better. It never got better than don't know for sure. They don't, they're not going to sell him. Um, Oxlade Chamberlain's going to leave for free. Um, uh, Emery Chan Chan left for free, I think. That's going back a ways. Uh, I'm trying to remember who left for free last summer. Obviously, Mane. There was another big name in the midfield that I can't even think of right now. Oh, uh, Wijnaldum, Jorginho hmm. Wijnaldum left for free. Who, by the way, they would be very happy to have right now, but they let him leave for free. Um, 
so like they want they they claim to want to be a money in money out club and then they let all these guys walk for free like i just don't know how you justify that yeah like Like especially if you're not hitting on guys coming in for free yeah also and yeah that's right and and they haven't much i mean tiago was was you know very either free or very dirt cheap but he Mm -hmm. hasn't been he's been good i think he's shined at times but he really needs the full system to be working around him and unfortunately it hasn't for a lot a lot of times recently so you know i hope they get their crap together and get their heads out of their butts a little bit but um it's definitely tenuous times and and i think it's up to them whether they want to be a top four Mm. club and be consistently competing for champions league spots and titles or if they're going to spend in the mid-range and probably lose jürgen klopp and probably go down to that you know 12 to 6 kind of range that is the destiny of teams that aren't willing to spend like the big Mm. clubs anymore the new Everton. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, that's are we ready to accept Arsenal supremacy yet? Um, and how depressing is that? I'm never ready to accept <laughs> Arsenal supremacy. Let's be very clear on that. Uh, what's the current gap right now? They're up uh, eight points. Yeah, I think. I, I yeah, think and City right. are you know fully on Champions League duty at this point. So yeah, I think like, I don't see them. I think they've got it pretty wrapped up, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love it. I was looking up. I was looking up um, Liverpool players that have left for free. This is from 2018 to today. Emre Chan, Daniel Sturridge. Um, Ooh, that's a name. That's a name. That's a name from the past. Adam Leilana, Jorginho Wijnaldum, Divock Origi, um, Loris Kairos. I don't think Mane did leave for free. I don't think it was a huge fee. Let me see. What fee? 33 million. So you're right. I was wrong. He did not leave for free. But that's, I mean, but it's Sadia Mane. That is is still cheap for second. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, um, But, yeah, I mean, those are, again, there's, 2002 2022 last summer six players left for free now i haven't heard of two of those players and and one of the ones that i have heard of is you know very young um ben woodburn so it's not like you were going to get a ton for a lot of those guys but might have gotten something and um they haven't and that's pretty um pretty unimportant or pretty unimportant i'm sorry i was reading the page pretty (laughs) Pretty disappointing is what I was trying to say. Pretty unlaport. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, no, it's a very interesting conversation because if you look at, like, to throw Red Bull out there, if you look at, like, RB Leipzig, it's not like they spend a ton of money, but they're able to, like, compete up the table because they do a good job of bringing in young players that they can either bring up to Leipzig or flip somewhere else. And, like, you feel like for Liverpool, if they aren't going to be – spending on their own money, they should at least be in the market of like finding these young players like Minamino, for instance, of like these young players that you bring in and then like try to either flip them for mo- more money elsewhere or like better in- implement them into your team instead of just like letting them walk mm-hmm. if they don't work. Yeah, absolutely. And they haven't brought in a player for free since uh, 2019. I've never heard either of the players they brought in <laughs> then. The last player that they brought in for free that I know of is Joel Matip in 2016. Before that, it was James Milner and Danny Ings. So, you know, some players that have worked out pretty well for the team. 
um, you would think they'd explore that option a little more. I realize it's not usually easy to get players to come in for free, but it just, you know, I, I the first opening years of Klopp were so clinical in how he acquired the right people all the time, paid up, but paid up for the people that deserve to be paid up for, which I think is, is going to be true with Jude Bellingham too, if fingers crossed that they can get him. You know, I think he's a player that, I don't know if anyone's worth uh, $150 million, but as much as one could be, he's the kind of player that can define your franchise for a mm. decade, you know? So like, that's pretty significant. Um, but they haven't made the money going out the way they should. They've made a lot of money winning championships and being in champions league and things like that. And now they have to just decide if they're going to spend or if they're going to get bought out by Qatar or if they're not going to spend and be increasingly irrelevant. And I think that's where we're at, you know? Yeah. I think there's something to be said about like when you're there for so long, like Klopp's, not to say Klopp's been there forever, but a long time for a world-class manager anyway. Mm -hmm. And like you get attached to certain players instead of moving on players when you should. Like, I feel like that's why Man City has been so successful is that yeah. Pep is kind of cold in terms of like moving players on when the time is right. Right. And I think that's true too. I mean, I think it's really easy to say, well, how am I going to sell like last summer? How do we sell Alex Oxley Chamberlain? We might need him this year. Hmm. Well, you sell him because you need to get other people. Yeah. <laughs> like you and then you to... have a succession plan in yeah. place to replace them. Yeah. Yeah. And they haven't done, you know, they got a couple of guys early on, Andy Robertson being the best example, but Mo Salah being another pretty much example of this where they paid, you know, dirt cheap really for them and just found the perfect fit and found somebody that grew into, in both of those cases, a legitimate superstar top player at their position kind of player. Um, they haven't done that as well either. So little, little suspect on the scouting and acquisition department lately. Um, you know, Nunez, I think is, is going to work out. I know there's a lot of scuttlebutt about him as well, but. Um, <laughs> He'll be good. It's like everyone overreacts. In the I mean, he now. looks, he's, <laughs> he's physically dominant. He's looked a lot better, I think recently. So, you know, I'm not too like, concerned about him. You just need time. Like you need to, I don't know. English media is terrible. They need to get people more time to actually adjust to places. Oh, 100%. 100%. But... <laughs> So that's my that's my long-winded rant on Liverpool. I hope I didn't take too much of our time here, but that's where I'm at. Uh, frustrated, but not overly surprised and, and hopeful that the future is mm. brighter than today. Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Any final any final international questions? Um, outside of congratulations to Real Madrid on their Champions League title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> outside of that. I think uh, the Champions League is interesting too, Stephen, because so you have one side of the bracket, which is Madrid versus Chelsea, Manchester City versus Bayern Munich, and then the other side is Milan, Napoli, and Benfica and Inter Milan. I think one side of that bracket is much stronger than the other, and I still think Real Madrid just walks their way to the title, but that's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, before we sign off, Justin, I know that you are a man who has written many things. Yeah, um, yeah. and you many things, many places. places. Exactly, I was getting there. Um, and I know that you wrote a um, a uh, piece for STL Mag this week about Azil Jackson, or AZ, how do you how do you pronounce it, Justin? So Azil Jackson, but he goes by AZ. 
uh, oh, also like a cool. Z as our Canadian friends would say. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but um, this is a player that we we picked off of Minnesota United's uh, second mm-hmm. team after he had a he was player of of that league last year, right? So yeah, uh, I uh, if you listen to our West Berdine episode last week, we talked about Azil quite a bit actually because uh, I wanted to get his opinion on it, and he played 19 minutes this weekend. He played the second half of the City 2 game also, but just, uh, yeah, I wrote a piece for STL Mag just talking about, like, how how this team sees him, because he hasn't been able to stick anywhere yet, and mm. he's 21 years old, he's very talented, like, he's the type of player that you watch him play and, like, jumps off the page at you immediately, so just kind of exploring, like, why he hasn't stuck yet and how he's kind of getting the chance here to, you know, write his story, so to speak. Hopefully, yeah. uh, finish it better than Cody Rhodes to tie it all oh, back, Steve. <laughs> Wrestling went from like the the biggest draw uh, in my life. On can we? So Saturday. before we wrap up here, uh, I watched WrestleMania this weekend. Obviously, uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. watch much WWE these days just because of how much of a drag it is to watch. Sometimes I watch the highlights, and night one I thought was actually good. So I was like, okay, maybe they turned a corner. I thought both nights were sensational until the decision yeah, that and they then, made at the end of night uh, two. Just Cody losing just completely ruined it for me. And then I also made the mistake of watching Raw last night, and that was terrible. God. So. And then, yeah. So for those who don't know, um, if you want soccer talk, if you're an only soccer person, you can tune out now. But we apparently are a part wrestling network now. So <laughs> I just I just need to get this off my Wrest- chest. WrestleMania is obviously the biggest much like the- Vince McMahon's mustache, I am in your face uh, whether you want it or not. <laughs> WrestleMania is the biggest event on the WWE calendar. Uh recently they've decided to split it into two nights of events. Um so it's Saturday and a Sunday, mm-hmm. which before it was just all on Sunday, but they were turning out to be five or six or seven hour shows. So they changed that. Um, great decision. I know I was never sure on that decision. And then last year it turned out to be great. And this year it's great. Um, the show was sensational, but then on Sunday afternoon, the news broke that it sounded like Endeavor, the owner of UFC was going to purchase, uh, the majority stake in WWE away from Vince McMahon, or at least purchase it in part away from Mm -hmm. Vince McMahon, take controlling stake and, um, and, uh, you know, take over the company, turn USC and WWE. Not, I've, heard, I've seen a lot of people say into one company, it's not in the sense that like they're actually mar- merged because that would be gibberish and nonsense, but in the sense that Disney and ESPN are one company, yeah, they're under one umbrella. Um, that was, you know, interesting, not confirmed on su- Sunday, but that kind of shadow hung over everything. Then in the main event of WrestleMania, they decided to, choose not to have the upstart new young exciting good guy win the title which young you know uh, i always knew was a decision that could be made but he's 37 you know but (laughs) um but uh they made it and that seemed wrong and then monday raw their flagship show was terrible and then all the news broke that vince mcmahon was back in charge of it vince the former owner of WWE, the founder, well, not the founder, but the man who grew it from a $1 million regional company into a global powerhouse about eight months ago. Uh, the family so, business. That's family right. Family business. About eight months ago, there were lots of uh, allegations that surfaced about him and he stepped away, retired, 
quote unquote, um, obviously not against his will. Now that we know the full picture and, and see what he's done now, uh, Triple H, his son-in-law took over and did, I would say, a sensational job, a far better job than he's done uh, over the last decade or so and grew it to having the most successful WrestleMania of all time. So, of course, Endeavor thought instead of keeping with that, Let's put this 77-year-old man back in mm. charge because that makes sense. So 77-year-old man who desperately wants you to send him pictures of Spider-Man. That's right. <laughs> basically, uh, I went from about the happiest I've ever been as a wrestling fan on Saturday night, you know, especially with the ending tonight one. The that match was sensational, phenomenal. And then um, you know, sometime. Most of Monday night was bad, but then Tuesday afternoon when it was confirmed that it was bad because Vince was back in charge, then I'm now as bad as depressed yeah. as I've ever been. It's like that. So that's that story. It's a, the, the thing about wrestling, the pe people don't get, uh, people that don't get wrestling, I get that. Totally understand why you don't. But the thing that people don't understand is the backstage nonsense uh, is just as drama filled. These are, and I can't stress this enough, a bunch of carnies yes. that are unreliable in oh, every yes. sense. Everyone is a carny, <laughs> and it's wild. So anyway, that's that's the WrestleMania rundown, and now I'm sad again. So oh, that, was, that was a good rundown, Stephen. Uh, Thank you. Good Justin. explainer. Yes. I'm sure if you watch, if you watch, well, maybe it'll be like six weeks old by the time he ends back from Japan hunting for the last remnants of you know nuclear fallout. You know. But, uh, I think it takes about 20 years to find the One Piece, so yeah, he might be That's over right. there for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ian is a, a big manga fan, big anime fan, and he's doing things that we dare not even speak of. <laughs> um, no, Ian is actually on a honeymoon one year after. Apparently people just take their honeymoons whenever they want now, so one year after his marriage, he's now on a honeymoon, and, and we, best, we wish him just the best. Uh, but that's it, Justin. You have anything else? Do you have anything you'd like to to talk about? No, no. Uh, we we've touched everything that was on my mind, and more, and more even. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, it's been great catching up with you. It's great talking soccer. We will be back after St. Louis City defeats the Seattle Sounders that's this right. weekend, or doesn't. Either way, we'll be here, and we will talk to you all real soon. Have a wonderful week. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. If you celebrate, be blessed. Be don't be stressed and have a wonderful weekend. Goodbye. Adios.